Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through... We're going, we're going all the way to, to, to 42. And as you're turning there, um, I just had this, I had this question on my mind or this thought as I was preparing this. Who in here is busy? Who in here is busy? You know, weighed down with troubles and anxieties. I mean, I think of, I think of my own life and my family's life and in the life of our congregation, and we have a lot of things going on. We have a lot going on, a lot of good things that are going on, right? And it's not slowing down. I've said this, uh, if I've said it once, I've said it 15 to 20 times in the past week. The days are long and the years are short. We've got blood, sweat, tears in the game of life. We've got clubs and councils and football games and tailgates and Sunday morning worship and Wednesday Bible study and small groups and everything in between. We've got jobs and friends and families, a lot of good blessings, a lot of good things. But what if in all of it, and all the noise and all the commotion, we miss the one thing that is needful, the one thing that is necessary. You know, often we've got, it's like the scales, if you've got a scale labeled uh, incidentals and a scale labeled the one thing needful, the incidentals are stacked to the sky and the one thing needful, we have specks of dust. And so y'all, you know, we need help. I need help. And in the goodness and loving kindness of our God, He gives us a word today. He gives us a word of correction to wake us up. And He gives us a word of hope, a reassuring word of hope. So let's look in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Hear God's word. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for your word. 
thank you for your spirit that, that brings it to light, that gives illumination and helps us to understand it and help us this morning, Lord. Help us to see the one thing that is needful. You are the one person that's needful, Lord. So help us to see that. Give us eyes and ears to see and hear. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here in Luke 10, we have an instructive passage at the end of a long section on Christian discipleship. You know, as we've seen in the, in the weeks uh, before us, in the weeks past, we, we saw Jesus send out the 72, and then when they came back, they were, they were boasting that they could cast out demons in the name of Jesus. And Jesus says, don't boast in this. He said, boast that your name is written in the book of life. And so we see in that passage that discipleship, it isn't about boasting in ourselves and what we do, but boasting in Christ and his salvation and following him. And then last week we were confronted with a test from an expert in the law, right? We, we read that parable of the Good Samaritan and the expert in the law, he stands up to test Jesus, he was seeking to justify himself, believing that he was up to snuff, that he was keeping the law, and he was living righteously. And Jesus sets him straight, and he tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. And this was to lead the man to an end of himself and lead him to Jesus, because Jesus is the true Good Samaritan who rescues sinners out of the ditch and he gives us the spirit to where now we can go and love our neighbors. So we see there that discipleship begins with our being saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And flowing from that, we now show neighbor love like the Samaritan. And now we have this story. Two sisters, two disciples with two differing responses to Jesus' presence. Two very different heart postures. So what is it in this passage, what is it about Martha's response that Jesus needs to correct? It says in verse 40, it says that Martha, she was distracted with much serving. Jesus had come into this household to teach and Martha is distracted with much serving. A distracted disciple is often a disgruntled disciple. And this is what we see in Martha. She's busy preparing, busy, busy, probably cleaning and cooking and getting things ready. And one thing that we need to clear up, it's not hospitality that Jesus is rebuking here. We know from, from other places in the scriptures that we are called to offer up our bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord, that we lay down our lives for brothers and sisters because Jesus has laid down his life for us. We see that one of the qualifications for an elder in the church is that they're hospitable. So Jesus is not coming down on hospitality and service. He sees Martha's heart. Right? The issue here is not that Martha was preparing a meal for Jesus and those in the household. 
It's more like she was putting on the dog. She was going above and beyond and trying to do and do, trying to impress Jesus, perhaps. And she sees her sister sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's like, what's the deal? Why isn't she helping? So in all the preparation that that Martha was doing, her soul had soured. It was just too much, and what was brewing inside of her heart came out in her words, right? Do y'all ever feel this way? You ever feel it? You're preparing, you're ready to have somebody over to the house, and it all starts out with a good motive, a pure motive. You're wanting to fellowship with brothers and sisters, or you're wanting to show love, the love of Christ to someone else. And as the day goes on, the, the tone changes. You know, I heard Alistair Begg talking on this, and it was just, it, it, it spoke to me because this, this happens in my heart. I know how to wash the dishes to where you know that I'm upset about washing the dishes. I can hit every square inch of that sink, right? We got people yelling, am I the only one who does anything around here? And by the time the guests show up, you don't even want them to be there. We're barking orders. We're being unkind to one another. And what started out as an act of love to be shown to another person has turned into an act filled with anger and and anxiety. We're troubled we see all the flaws in our home now and we just imagine all the perfections in someone else's home and we miss the providential blessings of God to us and we view them as a curse. We have a pity party and we focus on self because the eyes of faith have been moved away from Jesus. We miss out on an act of love for neighbor and a goal of fellowship. And this is where Martha, this is where she was in this moment. Like I said, she's most, most likely working hard to impress Jesus as if his love for her depended on how clean the house was or how great the food was or how much she did. She slips into that old works righteousness routine and begins to take it out on Jesus and on Mary. But being troubled and anxious about many things, it's not limited to people showing hospitality. I was just thinking of different ways that can affect us in the church. You know, for some, it's other forms of service. You know, there are some people, they're geared and, and, and they're directed, they just, they do and they do and they do and they want more to be done and they want you to do what they're doing. You know, we see someone or something that that needs help and we jump on board, but we look around and we don't see everybody else coming along with the exact same thing that we're doing and we become disgruntled with our brothers and sisters. I've been there. Christina and I, we came from a place before we moved to Greenwood. I mean, we, we had food pantries, clothing closets, busing kids in on Wednesday nights, feeding them, hoping to share the gospel with them, doing and doing, and we were told to continue to do and to do more. 
and we were worn out and miserable because there was no gospel encouragement. We looked up and it was only a handful of people doing all the same work. And so we looked out at our brothers and sisters and we thought if they were really Christians, they would be here in the trenches with us. Making that judgment, I had no clue what other Christians were doing with their lives. We just need to check our hearts in this. Sometimes we can just heap on more and more and we become disgruntled. We can become disgruntled with Jesus and our brothers and sisters. We can do many good things, things that are good and that God has called us to, but we can do it with the wrong heart. For others, for others in here, I think we probably all struggle with this. It's activities and hobbies. We're busy, busy with everything, every activity under the sun. I feel it. You know, you just look at our world regarding, and here's a hot button topic, youth sports. I love sports, played them my whole life, still enjoy them. But look at what is going on. All for a wreath that perishes. All for a medal that we'll forget about if it even lasts a week. Now, I'm not, like I said, I love sports. I think there's a lot of good that can be done. I think it's a gift from God, but it, it, it makes, sports make for a horrible God. We can pour all of our time and effort into it, and we're busy, busy, anxious, troubled, distracted, disgruntled. And just perhaps we can squeeze a little bit of church a little bit of Jesus in after we've filled everything up. Our schedule is completely full. These are some ways I think that, that we can become distracted and disgruntled. Martha was in this place. She was busy. Busyness had become a distraction and it ate away at her heart like battery acid. But Jesus, listen to this, this is the hope. Jesus did not leave her there. Jesus does not leave us there. Jesus did not come in with a scathing rebuke and smash Martha's kneading bowl. He comes in to the house and he comes to her and to us with compassion and with patience. See it in verse 41. He calls her name twice. This is a big deal when you start reading the Bible and you see anybody's name called twice. I mean, it's big enough if Jesus calls your name once, but... But here, he says, Martha, Martha. He loves Martha. He loves you. He loves her very much, and he's troubled by what he sees in her heart. He says, you're anxious and you're troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And the Lord is reminding her that he's not setting up this life of service and this life of quietude. That's not the Christian life. It's not like some go off into the monastery and others go out. No, no, no. He's showing her priorities. He's saying there are priorities in this. And he's not setting up a dichotomy here. She needs what Mary was getting if she's going to serve others in a God-glorifying way. She needs gospel oil to help run the engine. 
Because if you're not getting that, it's running off rocks and sand, and that don't work. So we see that Martha, she was distracted, disgruntled, and we also see Mary. Mary was focused. She was taking in the words of Jesus. She was mesmerized by him, and it's, it's a no-brainer that she was to sit at his feet. It's Jesus. He's here. The great teacher. The Lord. And this is an amazing scene, what we're seeing here. And it's, it doesn't hit us, I don't think. It doesn't hit me like it ought to because of the, the culture that we grow up in. But this is an amazing scene for many reasons. First, we see this uh, Mary has this posture of humility. Here she sits at the feet of Jesus. And Luke put this here. He's not so much worried about chronology. He put this here, and, and, and most commentators believe, as a, as a contrast to that expert in the law, that man who stood up to test Jesus. We saw him, and now we see this woman who sits at the feet of Jesus to be taught by him. A posture of humility. She's a disciple. That man, he was a fool. It's amazing here that we have a woman in this passage sitting at the feet of Jesus because in that day, it was only for men to sit at the feet of Jesus. That means you're a disciple. Men would sit at the feet of their rabbi. Paul, he tells in Acts, he said he was raised up at the feet of Gamaliel. So many other men, they were raised at the feet of their teachers. And here we have Mary, a woman, sitting at the feet of the teacher, the teacher of all teachers. And he commends her for it. I did some research on this, and, and it's, it's troubling. There are certain Jewish writings that you can go read and see, and you can read quotes like this. And you shall teach your sons and not your daughters. Worse than that, the words of Torah, the law, should be burned rather than entrusted to a woman. And here we have the one to whom the Torah pointed to. And he's entrusting his time and he's teaching women along with men. He's teaching children along with the elderly, the disabled along with the abled, Samaritans along with Jews and Ethiopians along with Romans. That's where everyone belongs, at the feet of Jesus. Mary chose the good portion. She chose the one thing needful. And you think about the words of Peter. Where else can we go, Lord? Where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so my question to, to you is, are you sitting at the feet of Jesus? Are you sitting at the feet of Jesus? Though He is physically in heaven and we will see Him again, Physically, we will see him again. He is present with us by the Spirit. Everyone in here, as, uh, as, it was pray, as Trey prayed this morning, any believer in here, if you believe the gospel, you have the Holy Spirit. And we also believe what the Bible teaches, that, that the Lord gifts certain people to, to preach and to teach his word. 
And no, I am not Jesus, and Richard is not Jesus. But so long as we preach the Word, if we're properly preaching the Word of God, we are being taught by Jesus as we sit under the preaching of the Word. And so do we make every effort to be there, and you're here, to sit under the preached Word to receive the sacraments, to offer up prayers and songs of thanksgiving. And we have to fight, y'all. We have to fight against the, the easy temptation of being zoned out or the, another temptation to come in and just be super critical, critiquing every word. Now, if... If I say, I want you to tell me any way that I can be more helpful. And if I say something crazy, I want you to correct, correct me. But there's a difference between hearing something that's off and testing it against the word and coming to a brother or sister and saying, see what the word says, and, and just coming in with a hypercritical spirit to, to just check off the things that I like or don't like and talk about the preacher? Are we coming in to sit humbly under the Word of God? Are we sitting at the feet of Jesus, not just on Sundays, but on a, on a daily basis? We know that the, the Scriptures say, blessed is the man who meditates on the law day and night. Do we believe that? And, and not just not just the, the verse of the day, but actually getting into the Word and spending time humbly, expectantly reading it and meditating on it. Are we sitting at the feet of Jesus? And we, we all struggle with this. I mean, how many times have you been asked by a brother or sister, or maybe you're not even asking, we, we can do this, but just to ask someone, how's your time in the Word? And, and you, or they ask you, and you're kind of like, well, it hadn't been so good. Or the other person says that. And then you get around to the why, and it's, I just don't have time. I haven't had time. I'm too busy. But brother and sister, listen to me. Jesus is coming to us and calling us to his feet. And he's saying, I want to teach you. I want to meet with you. We'll sit at the feet of our favorite podcaster, our favorite politician, our favorite sports announcer. We'll sit at the feet of Lane Kiffin and, and Mike Leach and heaven forbid at the feet of Nick Saban. We'll sit at the feet of our Red Bulls coach or our Pillow Academy coach or our cheerleader sponsor. And we will sit at the feet of a billion different influencers that are basically saying the same thing. And we may take a word from Jesus on the fly. And brother and sister, he's coming to you, to us, as he did to Martha. And he calls us by name and he's calling us to himself. He's saying there's one thing needful, one thing. Sit at my feet and learn from me. For what you receive from him can never be taken away, ever. All those other things, they will betray you in the last day, Jesus will never betray you. He finishes, he finishes, uh, 
He finishes out his teaching to Martha with that mind-blowing truth. He gives us great assurance and hope. What we receive from him can't be taken away. And you know, we don't, we don't know exactly what he was teaching in that household that night. We don't have the sermon manuscript. But we have Genesis to Revelation. We have all the teaching that God wants us to have, everything that we need for salvation, everything that we need to live a godly and upright life in this present evil age. So we don't know exactly what the sermon was then, but we have all that we need from the Lord and he wants to teach us. We don't have the answer to every question in life, but we have the answers to the most important ones. In another place in the scriptures, as we close out, another place in the scriptures, we see Jesus teaching these two ladies. In John chapter 11, we read of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, their brother. And it says that Jesus loved this family. He loved Mary and Martha and he loved Lazarus. And this is going to sound crazy, but he loved them so much that he let Lazarus die. He allowed Lazarus to die so that he could teach these people and to teach us a vital truth that anchors our heart in hope. You most likely know the story. It's uh, uh, Jesus stalls a bit for a few days, Lazarus dies, and then he goes into Bethany, or he's going to Bethany, their hometown. And he's, this is where we read of Jesus weeping. Even though he, he knows what's going to happen, we see Jesus loving this family and coming to them in their grief. And Martha meets him before he gets into the town. And in pure Martha fashion, she confronts the Lord. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask God, he will give you. Martha had heard him pray and she had seen some things. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know he'll rise again, Lord. I know he'll rise in the resurrection on the last day. She believed in that resurrection that's coming. But that wasn't the point. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into this world. And this is the thing that, that blows me away, but here's something that just really hit me. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying privately, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. He, he wasn't coming to condemn these sisters because they're weeping for the death of their brother. He comes to comfort them and he comes and he tells Martha and he says, go get your sister. 
I want to talk to her. And he tells Mary the same thing. This is astonishing. I mean, you can't find comfort like this anywhere else. Nowhere else. And he comes to us day after day, week after week, the Lord, the resurrection and the life, and he calls for us to come to his feet because he wants to give us treasure that cannot be taken away. And as I, as I was preparing this, I was thinking about my grandfather. The greatest man that I've ever met in my life. He worked hard and he loved his family. He was, he was meek and he was strong. And he, he continued to love me during um, a dark time in my life. He never enabled me, but he, he never left me. And eventually the Lord saved me. And I heard the doctrines of grace. And, and I, I realized that no matter how good my grandfather was, that didn't mean he was saved. And I didn't know whether or not he believed the gospel. Sure, he went to church, but I was just, I was a new believer. And I, I was like, I think I'm the only one that believes the gospel. And not really, but I wanted to make sure that he believed the gospel. And not too long after I got saved, he was diagnosed with cancer. A very aggressive cancer. And so I laid out the gospel in a letter. I wrote a letter to him. And I just filled it with as many promises that I could find in the Word about the resurrection and the life and the life that's offered by grace through faith alone in Jesus. And I gave him that letter and he said, thank you. And, and we never really talked about it anymore. We hung out, but we never really talked about it. But one day on, on a we were on a gravel road of all places and, and I, I just asked him, I said, Papa, do you believe the gospel? And he said, yes, I believe the gospel. And that was a comfort to me in that moment and that was kind of it until he passed away. Sometime later, a few months later, he passed away and um, my grandmother came up to me sometime after his funeral and she said, thank you for writing him that letter. She said, Joshua, I've ne I'd never seen him read anything in his life. He would go to church, for sure, but I'd never seen him read the Word. I'd never seen him read anything. And she said, he read that letter every day. He read that letter over and over and over again. Nothing could take those promises away from my grandfather. Not, not cancer, not death. And in that moment, he was clinging to the promises of Jesus. He believed the gospel and he was clinging, clinging to those promises of God. And I say all that to say, we need more than busyness and distraction in our lifetime. We need the living word of God. 
All the busyness and distraction will betray us in the final day and it'll betray us in the present moment because we'll miss the moments that we have with each other right now. The blessings that the Lord has given us right now. And so may we all humbly, expectantly come to sit at the feet of Jesus and be taught by him so that we can drink from the, 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 the rivers of living water. And as we go out, have something to give to others. Let's pray. Um, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to come and worship you. Thank you for um, brothers and sisters here Lord, that you have called out of darkness and into your light. Lord, thank you for the gentle word of, of correction, the gentle word of rebuke. If we see that our hearts, that we're just always disgruntled, that we're busy and hurried and troubled and distracted, Lord, and that you would help us to say no to certain things and to say yes to the one thing that is needful, and that is to sit at your feet and to be taught of you, and to worship you, Lord. Help us to do that. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and sending him to die in our place and rise from the grave. And we long to see you face to face. We love you in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.